Well, it's good to be here this morning. Happy New Year. It's good to start a new year. So uh, I, uh, I enjoy New Year's. I enjoy playing games, and our family's always had a tradition of playing games on New Year's Eve. And so we didn't do that last night. I went to sleep kind of early, actually. But uh, looking forward to playing some games tonight. So anyway, it's good to be here this morning. We're going to be in the book of Colossians. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to the Colossians. Uh, new Year's Day is often thought as a time of new beginnings, right? We're starting the new year out, and so we're closing out last year's business, and so whatever happened at work, maybe it can stay with last year, and we're going to move on to the next year's business. Or uh, we try to put behind us the difficulties of life in the past year, whether it's been health issues, family issues, whatever it might be. Uh, We're looking forward and saying, "May, may the new year not be so. And so we're thinking about these new beginnings. We look forward to what may be ahead. Uh, it's that forward-looking hope that really it leads to that tradition that we have in the U.S. of staying up late to see the new year into existence, right? Uh, we're looking forward to what's to come, and so people gather in, uh, uh, at Times Square and watch the ball drop, or you, you gather together to play games with your family and see the new year come into being, or uh, maybe others will enjoy conversation and socializing uh, at New Year's Eve parties. But that forward-looking hope, it also leads us to many of the famed or infamous New Year's resolutions, right? You guys know about these all too well. Uh, I don't know if anybody does New Year resolutions uh, or not. I give up on them because I never seem to complete them. Um, but you, you know what I'm talking about. And so we're, we're thinking about that. We're thinking about these New Year's resolutions. And so we're anticipating a better year, right, a, a better us. And so we make promises to be better. We make promises to do better. And so many of those resolutions look something like this. Uh, We'll make a resolution to exercise more, right? Anybody relate to that one? Or we'll make a resolution to lose weight. Many of us, I think, can relate with that one and the need of it. Uh, We might make a resolution to, to get more organized. Maybe our office is just chaos, right? And we think, man, this year we're going to buy those binders and those envelopes and those folders and put it all together and, and it'll make sense. Or we're going to we're going to make resolutions to save more money. My wife wishes I would do this because I like to buy stuff on Amazon. Um, and so but we, we make resolutions to say, let's save some money this year. Maybe it's learn a new skill. I've enjoyed learning a little bit of woodworking with Jim and Steve and uh, Michael and different people. And, and so maybe you're making a resolution to, to pick up on some woodworking or you've been watching Forged in Fire and you want to start forging knives or something, but you're thinking about new skills. Or it's a resolution to live life to the fullest, right? This is that that great one that you you can always say, I achieved it, because we don't really know what that means entirely. So I'm going to live life to the fullest this year. Or I'm going to drink more water has actually become a very popular one this year. Um, Many of us could probably do well with that one. That's quite achievable uh, if we'll just pick up a glass of water. Um, And so drinking more water. So whatever your resolutions may be, there's many of them out there. They're well intended, right? And and they can work to our benefit. So there's nothing wrong with those resolutions. We we make light of them because we all struggle uh, to keep those resolutions. Yet when we look with a little closer examination, many of our New Year's resolutions are missing an extremely important element. 
few of our New Year's resolutions have anything to do with our spiritual condition, um, if we stop and think about it. So I'm, I'm sure most of you have heard of a guy named Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a Congregationalist pastor in Northampton, Massachusetts in the 18th century. I have no idea where that's at other than Massachusetts is in New England, right? But Northampton, Massachusetts. He is most notable for his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And you're probably familiar with that. We actually had to read it in high school literature class uh, in my high school. Uh, Yet Edwards is also known for something else. He's known for his resolutions. And so in the year 1722... In 1723, now get this, at the age of 19, Edwards wrote out 70 resolutions to live by. I was just telling Steve this morning, oh, that I only thought about life like this when I was 19. Um, But here are a few from his list, just to give you an idea of what Edwards was saying. This is what I want to make resolution to in my life going forward. From 19 on until his death, I'm going to live like this. And so... Resolution 10, resolved when I feel pain to think of the pains of martyrdom and of hell. That that puts pain into perspective, doesn't it? Resolution 17, resolved that I will live so I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Oh, many of us can think about that. You look back on years and we say, "I, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done something different. And so to early on in life to say, I'm going to live so that at the end of life, those things I wished for, that's what I did. How about resolution 20? Resolve to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. Jonathan Edwards was human, right? He, he, he understood eating and drinking problems as well. Uh, resolution 28, resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of them. What a great resolution. Resolution 30, striving to, uh, resolve to strive to my utmost every week to be brought higher in religion into a higher exercise of grace than I was the week before. 31, resolved never to say anything at all against anybody but when it is perfectly agreeable to the highest degree of Christian honor and of love to mankind. Oh, we could all work on that one. Resolution 56, there's 70 of them, I'm not going to do them all, but 56, resolved never to give over nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. What a wonderful resolution. That's quite the list. And now realize that's only a tenth of them. That's just seven of the 70. Edwards ultimately desired to, and I quote, do whatever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration. That's part of resolution one, which is quite lengthy. Let me read that again. I'm quoting him. He says, Do whatever I think to be most to God's glory in my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration. Man, can the same be said of us this year? I want you to, to turn, if you haven't already, to the book of Colossians. Here in Colossians, we're going to find another resolute figure, namely the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Colossae, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And in his letter, Paul's calling the church at Colossae to be resolved 
in their walk with Christ, to be determined in their walk. So if you would stand with me in the honor of God and the reading of his word as we read Colossians 3, 1 through 17, if you are able, again, you'll find this on page 984 of the Pew Bible if you need it, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you lived in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. God, you are so very good to us. We thank you that you have redeemed us, that you have made us new creations, that we are in Christ. And Lord, that if we have placed our faith and trust in Christ alone, that is in fact where we are in him, that we have been raised with Christ. And so we can glory in the fact that we have been redeemed from our sin. That your wrath that falls on that sin will not fall on us, for it has already fallen on Christ. And your joy in righteousness and goodness is found in us because we have in us the righteousness that is not ours but Christ's. And so, God, may you be glorified as we live our lives and as we think about what it means to live in the new year, in the the new life, God, may we understand that you have called us to obedience and you have called us to purpose. And so, Lord, may we move forth with vision and direction, knowing that you have a plan for us. And ultimately, we do all of those things in the name of Christ for your glory and honor forever and ever. And so, God, we love you this morning. 
Open our hearts and minds as we study your word. Lord, may we be obedient servants. May we be pleasing to you. Lord, may we proclaim the goodness of Christ to those around us. May you be glorified in everything. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, thank you. You can be seated. So as we look here in Colossians chapter 3, if you've been in my Sunday school class, I'm sorry, it's a repeat, um, but uh, this is just such a good section of the Bible, and you could say that about everything, right? It's it's so good, but Colossians, I love the book of Colossians, and here in chapter 3, we have the heart of what's going on in the book of Colossians. As Paul's writing his letter to the church at Colossae, he's, he's more than likely he's never been to Colossae. Uh, we don't see any record of that in the book of Acts. The only time the city is even mentioned is in Colossians 1, 1 at the very beginning of the book there, uh, or 1, 2, I should say. And so that's, that's all we know. Uh, although Paul had a relationship with them, he had a relationship with the believers in Laodicea, which was not too far away, about nine miles Uh, And in fact, here at the end of the book, he encourages them to send this letter to the church at Colossae to the Laodiceans so they can read it. And the church at Colossae should read the letter he sent to the Laodiceans because it's going to be good for them, right? And so these churches are close together. Uh, He's concerned about what's going on here. And so the, the bulk of the letter is really just pointing them to faithfulness to the gospel, as with so many of Paul's letters. Uh, this one doesn't have the, the harsh feel to it. Maybe the book of Galatians does, right, as he's writing and he's really confronting a false gospel. Uh, it doesn't have the, uh, the feel of maybe a First and Second Corinthians where there's all of these lists of things that Paul's got to, to kind of correct and, and point them towards. But rather, here, he, he's still correcting, but he's, he's not correcting so much in what you're doing, but, but in saying, keep looking a certain way. Keep going a certain way. And so as we look here, Paul says thanks to the church. He's thankful for the church and what's going on there. He's thankful for what God's doing there. And in fact, at the end of chapter 1, he's emphasizing his word ministry that God is, has given him. Uh, the importance of the word is, is, influent, is, is emphasized there. And as he's doing that, he starts to begin to talk about this is who Christ is, right? There's that great, cha- that great part of chapter 1 that Christ is this. And so, I mean, we, we can look, and he's the image of the invisible God in verse 15. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And he's before all things, and in, and in him all things hold together, and on and on there in the, the part of chapter 1. And, and as he talks about that, that's who Christ is. And there's a reason that he starts the letter there, because he's going to come back and point them to Christ. And so, this is who Christ is. God's given me a ministry of the word. And then he comes back in chapter 2 to say, and this is who you are in Christ. So you remember Christ? And this is who he is? Now this is the benefit for you. This is what he's done in your life. And so there's this great benefit that we see as we continue on in chapter 2 here. And so as he's going through there talking about him, and, and we just say, for, for instance, uh, let's look at, say, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwelled bodily, and you have been filled in him. This is chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision, circumcision of Christ. And he goes on and on and says, these are your benefits being in Christ. 
And so as I'm thankful for you, I can't help but point you to why I'm thankful because of Jesus. And I can be thankful for what's going on in your life because of Jesus. And God's given me a ministry of the word. And in that ministry of the word, I want to point you back to him and who you are in him. So as he does that, he starts to conclude chapter 2, and this is important for where we're at today, by saying this in verse 16 of chapter 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. And so church, as I write to you, encourage you, I want you to remember to keep your gaze set in the right spot. Don't look to what you eat. Don't look to what you drink. Don't look to what new moons and Sabbaths you keep. Don't look, if he goes on a little farther here, he says, don't be disqualified. Um, In verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or harsh abuse of the body, right? Uh, And worship of angels or going on in detail about visions. Don't let these things sidetrack you from what is most important, Christ and you in him. So as he's writing to the church, he's saying, this is who Jesus is, and this is who you are in him, and don't be distracted by things that are going to change your gaze, they are going to move your gaze over to here or over to there. No, you look to Christ. Keep the main thing the main thing, if you will. And so then we get to chapter 3, and in chapter 3 he says, if then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And so we see this emphasis here. And in in the book of Colossians, uh, the vast majority of the imperatives, the commands that are found in the book are found in chapter 3. And so oftentimes when we're studying and we're thinking about things, right, when, when you write a list of things to do at the house, you know, where we maybe leave a list of chores on the, the dry erase board, you know, Rachel, you need to do the dishes, you know, Lydia, put the dishes away, Ira, vacuum the floor, etc. If we have those kind of things down there, it's really important that they read the verbs, right, the commands. We want them to actually do the things we wrote down for them to do. The same's true with God's Word. God has commands for us. And they're important for us. And we ought to read them and pay attention to those verbs and then do what we're called to do. And there are a lot of imperatives, commands in chapter 3. But before we get into them, it's so very important that you understand that those imperatives will not save you. They won't. Should we do them? Yes. Will they redeem you? Absolutely not. Look at verse 1 in chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. That's the, that's the qualifying statement, right? All these commands are going to be commanded of you, but they're all following after the fact that you are raised with Christ, that you are in Christ. And so as we look at these commands this morning and we think about this, there's, there's three things I want us to think about in this passage. First, that we set our goal appropriately. Second, that we put off the worldly. Third, that we put on the godly. Okay? It's not a terribly, uh, 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 I don't know, witty outline, 
but it's, it's the way the text is written, right? And so we look here, and first thing we're going to do is we're going to set our goal accordingly. It's important that we have the main thing as the main thing. And so when we look here, we see that the first thing that he says is, these things are not going to save you because the assumption is that you have been raised with Christ. Because he's writing in chapter 1, verse 1 of Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. He's writing to the believers. He's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, this is what your life looks like. So church, as we think about the new life that's coming, or the new life we have in Christ, we think about this new year and the way we want that new year to look, what if our new year were to look like our new life? And what would our new life look like? Well, Paul tells the church at Colossae right here what it ought to look like. And so if we're thinking about resolutions for the new year, boy, here's some good ones for us. So let's just think about this. First off, let's look at the goal. So we're going to set our goal. And what is our goal going to be? Well, first and foremost, the first command we see here is seek the things that are above. Right? Church, don't be distracted by the new moons and the Sabbath. Don't be distracted by the food and drinks. Don't be distracted by people that say you should worship these angels or that you should have these kind of elaborate visions. Don't be distracted by asceticism and feeling like you need to live like a monk or a nun in order to to gain some spiritual favor from God. Don't let those things distract you, but instead seek the things that are above. What's above? Seek the things above where Christ is. And what's Christ doing there? He's seated at the right hand of God. What's he doing while he's seated there at the right hand of God? The book of Romans tells us in Romans 8, Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Set our minds on the things above. What's above us? God. And seated at the right hand of God, Christ. And what is Christ doing? Interceding for us. Saying, they are in me when they place their faith and hope in me. Their sin has been paid for by me when they place their faith and hope in me. And so set our minds on the things above. So this year as we go through the year, what would it look like for our minds to be set on the things above? How would that change the way you do work? How would that change the way you work around the house and you educate your children or you you work at the schools? How would that change the way you live? Is your mind set on the things above? Are you seeking uh, uh, seeking the things above? Or are you setting your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth? Because this is who we're to be. And we understand that we've been saved by God when we place our faith in Christ. We understand, as he says here in verse 3, that we have died. We've died to that old self. We've died to that old way of living. And now our life is hidden with Christ, so much so that when Christ is revealed, we will be revealed with him in his glory. So you see the picture here that, that when we accept Christ, we say, 
Father, I know I have sinned. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm in rebellion to you, and I repent of that sin, and I ask you to forgive me because of the work and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, and it's in him and in him alone I place my hope. When we do that, God forgives us, and we die to that old self, and now we are in Christ, hidden within him, so that when he's revealed, we're revealed with him, so that we reflect him and we bear the image of him as God has created us to bear his image at all times, right? When in the very beginning, man and woman were created to bear the image of God, and then we sin and rebel against him and, and mar that image, and yet here in Christ, we get to do the mission God called us to do, and we get to do it perfectly, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus. And so when Christ is revealed, we're revealed with him. And so we're setting our goal on the, the things that are above. We're setting our mind on those things. We're seeking those things. Everything we are and do is now and forever, it will be found in Christ. So this is the Christian life. The Christian life is it's not about maximizing worldly pleasures, traveling more, which is another common resolution that we might make. It's not about being in top physical shape. It's not about accumulating degrees and certificates. It's not about reading as many books as possible. It's not about maximizing your influence in the lives of others. And it's not about spending every waking moment with your family. There's, there's nothing wrong with those things. Those things aren't bad. But they're not an end unto themselves. And when they become that, God's good gifts are then abused and used for sin. And so the first thing that Paul is calling the church at Colossae to see is that they need to have the right goal. And the goal is to look upward. We're not looking at the world here. We're not looking here and saying, this is what they have. This is what they are doing. This is what I want. If I could only go to Rome, if I could only do these things. Move your gaze up. Look to the things above. Don't get distracted by what the world's saying around us. Don't get distracted by the, the uh, earthly pleasures. Enjoy the good gifts God has given us. Make the most of them. If you have time with family, spend it with family. That is a good quality thing. If you have the opportunity to travel, there's nothing wrong with traveling. But don't let them become the end unto themselves because that's just, that's just the temporary. It's but a vapor and it will all disappear. So set your goals on the things above. And so the, the second point we want to see here is put to death or put off worldliness. And so in verses 5 through 11, there's this, this lengthy passage here where it talks about, uh, therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he goes on a little later and he gets into another list, right, where he says in verse 8, Put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from the mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So what does it look like to live the Christian life in 2023? Well, one, it looks like looking to the right goal, Christ-likeness, godliness, the glory and honor of God seen through his people submitted to him. And, and then... What does that mean? Well, here he goes on and he starts to give us all of those, these imperatives, right? And so these imperatives, this, let, me, let me just point out the imperatives here for you real quick. In verse 1, seek the things that are above. In verse 2, set your mind on the things that are above. 
in verse 5, put to death. In verse 7, put them all away. I'm sorry, in verse 8. And in verse 9, do not lie. In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. Uh, In verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And then at the, at the, uh, the end of 15, be thankful. At the beginning of 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. All of these are commands that he's calling us to do. And so as we look at those and we say, okay, we're setting our mind on the things above. We're seeking the things that are above. And what does that look like? Well, since we are in Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, then this is something he's calling you to do. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Well, what are these earthly things? He gives us the list, right? He gives us this list of sexual immorality, impurity, uh, ESV says passion, uh, maybe lust or uh, dishonorable passion would be a, a, maybe a slightly better way to translate that to understand the nuance. Uh, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. These are earthly. These are sins against God. Think about what's, what's common in this list. They're sins against God. They're, they're rebellion. They're about misplaced worship. These are perversions of the good creation and gifts of God. Note that covetousness is just idolatry. Have you thought about that? Uh, This is such a fascinating passage to me because we we like to quickly give ourselves the pass and say, I don't worship a stone idol. I don't worship a wooden totem. And and we might even give ourselves the pass and say, I don't really worship money or those things. But really, the, the picture here is if you covet it, you worship it. It's idolatrous. If you desire it more than God, it's idolatrous. When we seek things below instead of the things that are above, they become our God. When we covet our neighbor's possessions, we have moved our gaze from the things above to the things of this world. We're not looking to Christ who is seated at the right hand of God, but to the creation itself for our fulfillment. Coveting money, items, people, self-interest, are all ways in which we set our gaze on things below. They're all simple ways we replace the creator with something lesser, something created. If we had been raised with Christ, we should seek Christ and the right use of God's creation, not its abuse. So if we've been raised with Christ, we should desire the gifts of God used rightly and for his glory, not abused for our own sinful desires. Think about Romans 6, where it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And so God is saying here, Look, set your gaze at the right, uh, to, the, to the right place. Set your, your guys... <laughs> your gaze to the things above. Set your eyes to the things above. Don't look down here. Don't covet these things. Don't look around and, and think that uh, your, your sexual immorality, your, your misuse of God's good gift of sex, or this impurity, this unholiness that is contrary to God's holiness, or this lust and passion for something that is not by, by design yours, or desiring things evilly, Uh, or or coveting other things. Don't think that those are going to fulfill you. Don't offer your members up to those kind of things because those are contrary to who God is and what he's called you to do. And because of those things, the wrath of God is coming. And if the wrath of God is coming because of those things, 
how, as God's people, can we be associated with those things? Brothers and sisters, it ought not be. That's the point, right? And when those things start to distract you and lead you away from God, the call is to repent and to turn back to him and set your gaze anew on the things above. So as those of, uh, of us who are believers in Christ, what does it look like to, to live a life for Christ in 2023? Well, it looks like putting those things to death. Looking more like Christ, not by our own work, but by the work of the Spirit within us. Not offering our members up as instruments of righteousness. We do well to remember that the wrath of God is coming because of sin. And we should not want to be instruments of that unrighteousness. Instruments that provoke the wrath of God. We once walked in them, just as the Colossians once walked in them. We used to live in them as they used to live in them. But now, by God's grace and mercy, we have been set free from that. We're free from sin and death. We're no longer slaves to those things, and we don't have to be instruments of unrighteousness, but instead we can be instruments of righteousness used by God for his glory. And so put those things away. And he goes on with another list. He says, put away then anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, lying. These are sins they're really against our fellow man, right? As we think about the distinction in these two lists, one is the, the abuse of God and, and wrong worship, but here we see very much the, the, the sin against our fellow man. And just think about this, this logic here with me for a minute. Sin does, not affect our, sin does not affect our relationship with God alone, but it does with others as well. And so we are angry because it's not all about us. How dare they usurp my glory, we might say, in our mind, never out loud. We're wrathful because our expectations are not met. It should be about me, and someone dares to think it's not. We're malicious because someone would dare to consider themselves more important than me. We'll show them. They just need to be put back in their place. We slander to ensure that others know we are the most important. We'll take them down a few notches so others will understand my greatness. In fact, we'll use harsh language to make the point. We'll deceive to ensure our quote-unquote victory. In the end, it's all about us. We have usurped God's place. We have become our own gods. And this is true of all who live in rebellion towards God. But this ought not be so of those who have been raised with Christ. And if we've been raised with Christ, we need to put away malice and slander. We need to put away obscene talk and lying and all of the things on this list because those are not qualities that point to Christ, but rather they are sins against our brothers and sisters in attempt to make much of ourselves, to really be God. And so... He says here, put off the old self. Ephesians 4.22 says much the same, right? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. This is not how we live anymore. It was the former way of life. And it is corrupt through deceitful desires. And so the last thing we see here is he calls the the church at Colossae to put on godliness, Christ-likeness, if you will. And so as he finishes out... uh, 10, 11 there, and, and on into 12 through 17, we see this. This put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Look at that 
that description. You want to think about what the new life is going to be like uh, in 2023? You want to know what you already have in new life in Christ? Look at this description. Put then on as God's chosen ones. God didn't have to choose us, but he did. Holy and beloved, made holy because of the work of Jesus, beloved because of God's great love and mercy. What an incredible description of who we are. And so we find our wealth or our, our worth not in what the world has to say to us, but what God says about us. We find it by being in Christ. And being in Christ, we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And because that is true, he calls us to put on some things. And what does he call us to put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. As we talked about in in my Sunday school class, uh, you could even translate this, enduring one another, which is sometimes helpful, right, to think about the fact that sometimes you just have to endure, Matt. And I appreciate it when you endure me. Um, but the, the reality is that the Christian life is not easy. God's called us to put these things on, and then God's equipped us to put them on and empowered us through the Spirit. And so these are not things that you have to do on your own, that you just have to muster up and, and really make this happen. No, God has equipped you to live this way. So live this way. One of the ways you do that, keep your gaze right. Look to Christ. Look to the things above, not the things of this world. So forgiving one another, loving each other. If we look at Romans 6, 12, we see, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, as we've read, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, which we have by the work of Jesus, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So put off, don't be that instrument, and put on, be this instrument, an instrument of righteousness, because compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving, and love, those are, those are just pictures of who God is. Those are us emulating the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, living as they live. And so being Christ-like, being God-like by putting on these very things that he equips us and enables us to do. And so put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 4 tells us. So think about it. The new self is created after the likeness of God. It is true in its righteousness because it comes from him. It's true in its holiness because it comes from him. Think of the example we have in Christ found in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read this as a lengthy passage, but this is just too good not to read. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The old self that we are to put off is about us. It's about our own godhood. It's ultimately about our resistance to this very confession we find in Philippians 2, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So put off the old self. Don't find yourself in rebellion against the one confession that we are all called to make. The new self not only embraces this, it englories in it. It hungers and desires to be Christ-like. It's resolute in its newfound freedom to glory in Christ and to follow his example. Think only of like Ephesians 5.1. Or he goes on here and he gives us another command. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in you. We think about 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Live under the rule of peace, for Christ is the Prince of Peace. This is what the new life looks like. This is what 2023 ought to look like for us as believers. Be thankful, he says. Who in all of creation has more to be thankful for than we? We few, we happy few. We band of brothers, right? That's such a good quote. But but far more uh, uh, applicable here than in, at Agincourt in Henry V, right? The, the, the reality that here in Christ, there's nobody on the face of the earth that can be more thankful than us. My sins have been forgiven. I have been redeemed. I've been made a new creation. And if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, the same is true for you. Praise be to God. May he receive all the glory. May we be thankful for that. And may it show in our life this year. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching and admonishing, right? As we, as we go through life, let God's word have its impact on us, and not just an impact on us, but an impact that moves us into the lives of others, right? That we share the good news of Christ, that we can't help but say, let me tell you about what he has done and what he is doing and who he is and what he's like, and that there is hope and forgiveness for you. If you'll look to Christ. And so may we admonish one another. So as we conclude here this morning, think these things. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Put to death the old self. Put on the new self. Paul's calling the Colossians to live in Christ. And this is not a life of effort and doing. This is a life of being. He's calling them to understand their goal, to look toward their goal, and to embrace the goal. So what is that goal? The things above, godliness, Christ-likeness. So why does he call them to put off worldliness? Well, it's, it's opposed to Christ. How do they do that? By being in Christ, and that is the only way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 3 tells us. We are justified by God's grace through the redemption that is found in Christ. Because of what God has done for us in and through his Son, we're told in Romans 8.1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if we look at the beginning of the letter of Colossians, we find that Paul's writing to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, as we've seen, right? And in our more immediate context, we find that the commands in chapters 3 and 4 are written to those who have been raised with Christ from Colossians 3.1. So why does he call them to put on godliness? It's the very nature of Christ. And how do they do that? By being in Christ, the main imperatives, the, the many imperatives of Colossians 3 are not to be misunderstood. Paul is calling the Colossians to be active. The Christian walk is not super spiritual passivity. Yet neither is it pull yourself up by your bootstraps walk. It's an active life empowered by the Spirit. See the goal, embrace the goal, be made new, be changed fight knowing the victory is yours in Christ and through the Spirit's empowerment. And while we know the final victory is ours in Christ, we still have battles to fight before the end. And so this is what Paul is calling the Colossians to do. And this is what God is calling all believers to do. May we look to these imperatives, putting them into practice through the Spirit's power for the glory of God. And may we embrace the new life found only in Christ. And be resolved to obey him for his glory and our good. May we be resolved in this new life. Resolved to seek the things that are above. Resolved to set our minds on the things that are above. Resolved to put to death what is earthly. Resolved to put off the old self. Resolved to put on the new self. Resolved to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Resolve to be thankful. Resolve to let the word of Christ dwell in you. Give him the glory for all that he has done and will do. And do all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These are resolutions for 2023. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, you are so very good to us. And Lord, we know it is important that we take care of the, the body you've given us. And Lord, it is important that we not overeat. It is important that we get exercise. It's important that we read and grow and learn, Father. It's important that we do our work heartily unto the Lord. God, it's important that we spend time with our family. All of those things are important. And yet, Father, may we not miss the fact that first and foremost, you have called us to yourself right relationship with yourself, and it's found only in Christ. And so, God, may our goal be you, the things above. Ultimately, God, you, and Jesus seated at your right hand. And, God, we know that when we place our faith in Christ alone for salvation, you redeem us and you make us new creations, and then you empower us to live the life you've called us to. And so, Lord, may we put off the old, because that's our former self, and we've died to that. And Lord, may we not be associated with those things that are contrary to you. And Lord, may we put on Christ-likeness, because it brings glory and honor to you, and it points to you. 
And so, Lord, this, wor- this week, may we be resolved to do as Paul has commanded the church at Colossae to do and as you've called each of us to do, Father. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for another year. May you be glorified in it. Lord, I do pray this morning, if anyone doesn't know you here today, Lord, that they would come and talk with Jeremy or I after the service. Lord, we'd love to talk with them about what it means to know you. Uh, But, Lord, just to rightly understand that this cannot be put into practice if you are not in Christ. And so that is of utmost importance, that you are in Christ, and Christ does the cleaning, not us. The Spirit does the empowering, not us. And you are glorified in all of it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.